I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and uh, open it again. Excuse me. <clears throat> yelling too much at that heartbreaker loss of a basketball game last night. We'll get over it. Open your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 2. Today, verses 13 through 17. Mark 2, 13 to 17. If you're using uh, one of the uh, Bibles that's under a seat in front of you uh, or nearby, you'll find Mark chapter 2 on page 786. Uh, the inside your Bibles, if you're uh, not made your way around one in a while, the large numbers are the chapters, the small superscripted numbers are the verses. We're in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. So far in Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus has appeared as a mostly positive and relatively uncomplicated figure, excepting, of course, what we saw last week, his claim and demonstration to be God by forgiving a paralytic sin and then healing his body. But the picture of Jesus, which is mostly up to this point, now granted we're only a a chapter and change into Mark, so far the picture of Jesus has, has not been all too controversial, but that's about to change very quickly. The picture of Jesus, the person of Jesus, is going to become a lot more complicated and a lot less attractive to some certain people very quickly in Mark's gospel. As we read Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, we will see Jesus calling a new, another disciple to follow him. Previously, he'd called four fishermen, uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Now he's going to call a tax collector named Levi to follow after him. And then he's going to have a party or attend a party at Levi's house. And that is not going to be a very attractive thing to some people who look uh, a little more negatively upon folks like Levi. We'll see in Matthew two, or Mark 2, 13 and 17, that Jesus associated with tax collectors and sinners in order to show that he came to save sinners who knew that they needed saving. The main idea from this passage and the main idea of this text that I have titled A Savior for Those People is this, that Jesus calls the unwelcome and the undesirable to follow and be healed by Him. Jesus calls the unwelcome and the undesirable to follow Him and to be healed by Him. In response to this passage this morning, we should first come to understand that Jesus offers healing for spiritual sickness. And that we should come to Him for it. We should second find hope in the fact that Jesus calls and uses otherwise undesirable people. And third, we should search our hearts diligently for any sign of self-righteousness that might keep us from following Jesus as well. I invite you to stand as you're comfortably able as uh, we honor God by reading His Word. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Mark, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continues writing this biography of Jesus' life. He says, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. You may be seated. Jesus calls the unwelcome and the undesirable to follow him. 
and to be healed by him. Let's take this passage in pieces, verses 13 and 14, then verse 15, and then verses 16 and 17. First, from verses 13 and 14, we see, we observe that Jesus calls the unwelcome. Jesus calls the unwelcome. Verse 13 finds Jesus again in the region of Galilee with a big crowd one more time beside the sea. And what is Jesus doing? He's teaching still again. We've seen this over and again through the first chapter and change of Mark's gospel already. As often as this comes up in the gospels, I want for us to notice it, to take note of it, because it's critical for us to understand with crystal clarity that the Son of God is not on a mission merely to impress people with His powers like some sort of alien superhero. But rather, Jesus is clearly, methodically, graciously teaching the crowds that come to Him from God's Word how they can be right with God and become a citizen of God's grand gospel kingdom. His teaching ministry is summarized in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is going everywhere, teaching and preaching, expounding upon this message. And so as he's walking by, maybe in between teaching sessions or moving from one place to another, he passes a man named Levi. Levi's name, we also know him, maybe better know him as Matthew, as he records in his own biography of Jesus' life in Matthew's gospel, chapter 9. Levi is a tax collector. As we've already read, you may know, and you may know from your own reading of the Bible, tax collectors were not especially well-liked people in that day. I don't know if anyone here works for the IRS. I'm glad you're here. But in that day, tax collectors were not particularly well-liked people. And that, that may be the understatement of the century. In fact, tax collectors in ancient Judea, in the ancient Roman world, were largely despised by Jews. Here's why. Tax collectors, like Levi, were Jews who subcontracted with the Roman government to collect what are essentially customs taxes from people who would be moving merchandise and goods along Roman roads. Now, mind you, Jews saw the Romans as an oppressing, occupying force in Judea. They didn't want the Romans there. They saw them as significant opponents to their national freedom. Many Jews were waiting for a military Messiah who would come and kick Rome out of Judea and give the people of Judea their freedom back. So tax collectors then, these, Roman, these Jewish subcontractors for the Roman government, would prepay a tax to Rome out of their own pocket, and then they would be authorized by the Roman government to pass that tax along to others. Now, sounds simple enough, but that's a lot of work to not make any money. So I'm not going to pay 100 denarii to the Roman government just to collect 100 denarii from people who are bringing along uh, uh, merchandise and goods along the way. What's in it for me? So tax collectors were authorized by the Roman government not only to collect the tax that they had prepaid, but also to collect whatever might be for their own livelihood. And so in order to make money in this profession, most tax collectors would overcharge and add on all sorts of convenience fees, processing fees, conversion surcharges, and every other thing that Ticketmaster and your cell phone company charges you for today, and then some. Many tax collectors became exceedingly wealthy because they passed on these taxes. And what are you going to do? Tell the Roman government, no, I'm not going to pay? Jews viewed tax collectors like thieves because of how they used the tax to rob people for their own profit. 
And Jews avoided tax collectors like they avoided prostitutes because it appeared that they had sold out their own people to be well-liked and wealthy in the eyes of Rome. Though tax collectors were not considered ritually unclean according to Old Testament law, they were treated like they were unclean by most people in society. Who wants to be around those people? They were unwelcome, unwanted, despised, less than, traitors, and carpetbaggers. And yet it's to a tax collector, Levi, that Jesus now turns and gives a similar call that he gave to those four four fishermen just a chapter ago. Levi, follow me. Come along with me. Learn from me. Be shaped by me. Be changed by me into what I will make you to be. Now I'm adding some words to what Jesus said there, but that's essentially his call as he gives it to the fishermen and as he gives it now to Levi. Levi, the despised and unwelcome tax collector, finds a new purpose in abandoning his tax table and all the wealth that comes along with it in order to follow Jesus, this teacher from Nazareth. Now, Mark, the gospel writer, doesn't tell us what Levi saw in Jesus or knew of Jesus that motivated him to follow this man. All he gives us, all that Mark gives us, is that Jesus called and Levi followed. Jesus called an unwelcome man who was hated by most, distrusted by everyone to be one of his disciples the final line of our passage today rings through here doesn't it jesus says i came not to call the righteous but sinners like levi and boy was levi ever considered a sinner by the many you can imagine can't you that some people standing by when jesus calls to levi levi you come follow me that some were thinking really jesus that guy him he can't be trusted he's a traitor to his people he's a thief you want him to follow you maybe even some of the disciples you want him to come along with us understand jesus does not call people because of what they are but he calls them for who he will make them to be levi would leave his unsavory but very lucrative occupation to follow Jesus, not knowing where it would lead, but that wherever it led would be far better than what he previously had been doing. Jesus calls Levi, not because Levi was a welcome addition to his growing cadre of disciples, but because Jesus knew what Levi would become when molded and transformed by his hands. Jesus calls the unwelcome. Verse 15 tells us that Jesus also fellowships with the undesirable. It seems that later that same day, or maybe shortly after, that Levi threw a dinner party for his new master, Jesus, and for all of his old friends. This was the expectation in the ancient world, to welcome new friends and honored guests into your home and feed them. We saw the same sort of hospitality shown by Simon Peter's mother-in-law in Mark chapter 1 after Jesus healed her from a fever. She immediately got up and began to serve them, show them hospitality. But this meal in this setting in Levi's house is quite a bit different. It's one thing to be invited and welcomed by a fisherman and his family and to enjoy table fellowship with them, sure. But a tax collector, a traitor to your own people, that's another thing altogether. And by the way, when you're unwelcome and undesirable, like Levi was as a tax collector, in the eyes of broader society, When you're unwelcome and undesirable, who are you most likely to become friends with? That's right, 
other undesirable and unwelcome people. So when Levi throws a party for Jesus, he invites all of his friends, all the other tax collectors, all the other sinners who were similarly looked down upon by others. And that's who Jesus goes to Levi's house to have dinner with. You're probably familiar with the phrase guilty by association and what it means. That a person's affiliation or relationship with a criminal or an otherwise scandalous figure gives that person, who, who may be otherwise innocent, gives them the same sort of reputation as their friends. Jesus, we find, makes friends with sinners and tax collectors. He eats with them. He talks with them. He enters their homes and shares life with them. And we'll see how this becomes problematic for Jesus in the eyes of others in just a moment. But for now, see this blessed reality and truth that Jesus is unafraid to know and be known by those people. Jesus is unafraid and unashamed to know and be known by those people, the undesirable ones. If anything, it is fellowship with the undesirable that Jesus himself desires. I cannot help but think of how God illustrates his pursuit of his people in the Old Testament in the life of the prophet Hosea as I look at Jesus here. God calls that prophet Hosea to go and marry a prostitute as a living picture of God's own commitment to his people who would constantly go after other gods that are not the Lord. Who could love a people like that? Who could stand to be associated and affiliated with folks who act that way? Why would anyone want to be seen among them, much less in fellowship with them? Not even to mention, redeem them. We would be especially prone to think that a holy God would have nothing to do with those people. But it's precisely the only holy God who pursues people like this. Not to affirm and encourage their sin, no. And certainly not to take part in it. But in order to rescue them, redeem them, call them back and make them whole from that sin. A God who owes His people nothing, who had Himself been disrespected and insulted by His people, cheated on time and again as they go after other gods, now getting into the mess of their sins so that He might call them and lead them out of it. to Something better, to something whole, to a life of spiritual healing. This is the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. That just as God's, just as Christ's holiness is able to cleanse the leper and himself not become contaminated, so also does his presence among sinners and tax collectors, those people, not make him a sinner, but rather lead sinners to repentance and wholeness. This is the whole point of Christ's life and ministry, and especially his death and resurrection, that he would demonstrate the glorious love of God for sinners so as to identify with them By being born a human man. And then not only to associate with sinners, but to take their place at the cross to bear the penalty for their sin. Then He rises from the dead so that every sinner who identifies themselves with Him by repenting of sin and trusting in Him might become holy. Jesus risks guilt by association so that we, in trusting Him, might have righteousness by His substitution. May I encourage you for a moment? You may be the sort of person and have lived the kind of life that might make you undesirable in the eyes of the world. Know this today. Jesus is not afraid to be seen with you, 
to be known by you, to fellowship with you as you trust in him, not to continue on in the way you've living, but as you trust in him to be changed, to be redeemed, to be rescued, to be utterly transformed by him. There is no other savior quite like this. Jesus calls the unwelcome. He fellowships with the undesirable. Third, we see that Jesus came for the unhealthy. Verses 16 and 17. Now we begin to see how all of Jesus associating with the wrong people creates a problem for him. When the scribes find out what Jesus has been doing, they have words for this guy. The scribes are a subset of Pharisees, as we learn from history and from parts of the Bible. The Pharisees, a religious group of of Jews, had risen to prominence in the 200 years or so before Jesus was born. They were experts in God's law. They knew uh, the Old Testament frontwards and backwards. They were experts in matters of cleanness and uncleanness, of righteousness and ceremonial purity. They were themselves very theologically conservative and also more than a little impressed with themselves. So when these experts in the law of God find out that Jesus is eating, is sharing table with not necessarily ceremonially unclean people, but also not the best kinds of people, they take exception to this. And so they passive-aggressively confront Jesus through his disciples. Did you catch that? The scribes don't even go talk to Jesus. They say to his disciples, what's wrong with this guy you're following? And they ask, why does he eat with those people? Why does he eat with sinners, tax collectors? I mean, dregs of society. Doesn't he know who they are? Surely your master understands what this looks like, right? Surely. Now let's be really honest with ourselves for a moment and realize We all have some, maybe a fair bit, of commonality with the Pharisees. I've not met a single person in my life who has never looked down on someone else that didn't live up to their expectations for how people should carry themselves, comport themselves, behave in polite company. Many of us have been the person that other people look down upon, but my guess is that probably all of us have been the person who looks down on others. For you, maybe the one you have a tendency to look down on as among those people is the panhandler on the street corner. Maybe the drug-addicted homeless person. Maybe for you it's the single mom living next door with her boyfriend or the family with children who have special needs or the politician or the ex-con or that white person, Hispanic person, black, Native American person down the street or across the sanctuary from you this morning. Maybe it's the Baptist pastor you look down on. We've all at some time thought ourselves above being seen with someone. In our self-righteousness, we think we are somehow better, holier, smarter, more clean, more accomplished, racially superior, such that it would be beneath us to associate with those people how could he eat with those people and so it is to these pharisees who ask how how are you what is wrong with you that jesus says those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick i came not to call the righteous but sinners 
The point is this. Jesus, in this one little sentence, gives us a parable. Jesus is the physician who comes to make spiritually sick people well. The tax collectors and sinners that he's eating with and teaching and pleased to be associated with, these are the ones that he's come to heal. I'm here for sick people who know they need a doctor, says Jesus. And I've not come to leave them sick in their sin. No, that's a terrible doctor. But to point them to true righteousness through faith in me and repentance. That's why I'm here. To fix the only problem that everyone has and only I can fix. Now here's the irony of Jesus' statement. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. The irony of Jesus' statement, the, the veiled critique of his own critics is this, that the Pharisees are just that, that sort of spiritually sick people too. Their problem is, they don't see it. How could they? All their religious rule-keeping has made them blind to their own sin of self-righteousness. We're better than those guys. The idea that they have no sins needing forgiveness or somehow that their good works can overcome them has blinded them to the reality that their hearts are sick with sin. People like this, the self-righteous, will never understand their need for Christ because in their minds, they have no need of Him. Their sin is not as bad in their sight as the sins of those that they look down on. And even if they admit that they have sin, surely they can cover over it with some more religious rule-keeping. Thinking themselves spiritually healthy, they never go to the great physician to be made well. Proverbs 30, verse 12 says this, There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. It's a picture of the self-righteous person who thinks, I'm good. I don't need anything from Jesus. I'm just fine. And surely I'm better than those people or that person. I may not be the best in the world, but I'm not surely not the worst in the world. And even for the sins that I might have, well, I, I'm going to go to church this Sunday. I'll take care of it. I'm going to hang out for Bible study this week. And on the way out, I might, I might leave something in the offering plate and, and I'll be good, right? Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Proverbs thirty twelve says, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their own filth. The truth of Scripture, the truth that Scripture regularly points out to us is this, that to those whose sin is obvious to them, not these Pharisees, but these tax collectors, these sinners, these people like Levi and all of his friends, People whose sin is obvious to them, who understand that there is no human remedy to their sin, who know the depravity of their own rebellion against God, people who, who know the laundry list of things that they are guilty of in their own minds, and their own hearts, and who know that there is nothing humanly possible that they can do to fix it, to make it better, to undo it, and who long to be made well, Well, these are the ones that the physician is glad to help. These are the ones that the physician is happy to cleanse and for whom he dies and rises again in order to make healthy. Jesus calls the unwelcome. Jesus calls the undesirable. 
And he calls the unhealthy, whether they know it or not, to follow him and be healed by him. Jesus' statement, that he came not to call the righteous but sinners, is a direct call to the Pharisees. Two, I came to call you too, he's saying. Even you self-righteous ones. Problem is, you don't have eyes to see or ears to hear it. So you've stopped them up. You've blinded yourselves with your own self-righteousness. That you, you can't see that you need me, but I'm calling you too. The self-righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees deceived them. It was lying to them. It led them to believe that they had no need of healing, and so they missed the gift of Jesus altogether. This morning, I'm cautioning you, don't be deceived by self-righteousness. Don't be deceived by self-righteousness. And here, I'm not talking primarily to the non-believer. I'm talking to the one who I'd identify as a Christian. Don't be deceived by self-righteousness that somehow all of your religious rule-keeping has kept you from really needing Jesus. Or that I walked down an aisle, I prayed a prayer one time with a pastor to receive Jesus in my heart. I'm fine. I've got all I need. That's self-righteousness. And it's deceiving. 1 John 1.8 says, "If If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The one who says, I have no sin and therefore no need of Christ, or I prayed a prayer one time, my sins are covered, I'm good, right? The one who fails to recognize that they have sin that daily needs repenting and confessing is deceived, probably deceived about their own salvation. This morning, friend, be truthful with yourself and before God. Admit that you have sins that need forgiving. Don't be like these Pharisees who had blinded their eyes, who had made their ears deaf, who had hardened their hearts against the reality that they needed Christ just as much as those people. That in fact, they were no better than those people. They could very easily have been counted among those people and should have that Jesus was fellowshipping with. The righteousness of the Scribes and Pharisees deceived them, but the, righteousness, the self-righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees also placed them in grave danger. This pridefulness put them in a position that made them unable to see their need for Jesus and ultimately would prevent them from receiving God's grace in Christ. To be self-righteous is a dangerous place to be. To think, I go to church, I go to Sunday school. I tithe. I'm good with God, aren't I? Is a dangerous place to be. Friend, avoid the danger of self-righteousness. Christ comes for the sick. And the truth of the matter is, we are all sick with sin. Not a one of us is any better or more deserving of God's grace than any other. The truth is that only those who recognize their illness, though, can come to Him for healing. The person who lives in denial of the cancer that is eating away at their body can never be healed by a doctor or treatments that they would provide because they are bound and determined to believe that they're not actually sick. But the person who's, who has cancer that is ravaging their body and realizes something is wrong, something is, is not right at all, I need help, and goes to the oncologist to get the diagnosis to get a course of treatment and then go through it, that's a person that has a chance at being well. 
But the person who lives in denial will, will never be. And, and so it is all the more, and even all the more importantly, when it comes to our sin. Sin is ravaging the soul of every human being. And we see the effects of it all around us. Brokenness in the world, brokenness in relationships, wars that are raging. The war between Russia and Ukraine is its one-year anniversary just this last week. We see the ravaging effects of sin in the world all over us, and yet we're bound and determined to believe, whether we're Christians or not, that I'm better than this. I, I, can, I can fix it. I've got this covered. I'll just show that other person how wrong they are, and that'll fix everything. I'll just blow that person up or that country up and take whatever I want from them. The one who denies that they need healing will never be healed. The one who is bound and determined not to see their own sin, to confess it and repent of it, never have relationship with Christ the way that he offers because they'll never see a need for it. The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said, Pastor Danny was helpful to remind me of this this week. The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Levi and his tax-collecting sinner friends knew the bitterness of their sin. And they ran to receive the sweetness of Christ because he had what they knew they needed. But the scribes and Pharisees, steeped in their self-righteousness, had neither eyes to see nor ears to hear nor tongue to taste the sweet reality of Christ's transformative call to sinners. And they missed it altogether. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Friend, are you here this morning and aware of the acute bitterness of your sin? How stinging it is, how acrid it is, how, how metallic it feels, not just in your mouth, but in your body, that this is eating away at me. Are you aware of the acute bitterness of your sin? And I have good news for you. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, calls you to the sweet refreshment of repentance of sin and faith following after him. Levi, follow me. And he calls you today, Jesus calls you today to turn away from what is wicked. The sin that you know is eating you alive. To turn away from it, to trust in his death and resurrection for your sins, and to follow him in being transformed by him. A life lived to his glory and your greatest purpose. Jesus says to you today, sinner, follow me. Eat with me. Be healed in heart and spirit by me. The question is, whether you'll leave your sin behind to follow Him. Christian, have you lost a taste for the sweetness of Christ? I've thought about that a lot this week. Could it be so that because you've lost a sense of the bitterness of your sin, that somehow you've become accustomed to it? And in becoming accustomed to the bitterness of your sin, you've lost a taste for the sweetness of Christ and just... Living your life by religious rule keeping. I encourage you today, heed the warning that Christ gives through a veiled critique and a parable to the scribes and the Pharisees. See that you are sick too, Christian. See that you still need Jesus this many years later, Christian. And that He's still sweet 
He's still sweet. Seek the mercy of the Savior. Again, return to the great physician for healing and help to repent of the sin of self-righteousness, the sin of racism, of partiality, of pride, of egotism, of narcissism. And then follow in the steps of Christ as He leads and be one who points the spiritually needy of every stripe to the Savior who calls and heals the spiritually sick. Jesus calls the unwelcome and undesirable to follow Him and to be healed by Him. This is good news. The self-righteous hate it. But those who are sick with sin and know that they need Him, love it and run to Him for healing. This morning as our time of worship closes and we'll be dismissed to go to small groups and things, I would invite you However the Lord is leading, calling you today, whatever work you may need to do with Him, whether it be repenting of self-righteousness or repenting of sin and trusting Christ for the first time, even as we're dismissed, I pray that you just make time, stay here in this room, come find me or Pastor Danny or one of our deacons or a Bible study leader, or just one of our members and say, I, I need healing too. I've been following Jesus for some time, but sin's not bitter to me right now. And I'm a little bit afraid of that. I'm a little scared that my sin isn't bitter to me because it means that, that, that I can't taste the sweetness of Christ. Would you just stay and, and respond in, in prayer and in, in worship however the Lord would lead you? We've got plenty of time between now and when our small group Bible studies start. Plenty of time for you to pray Repent, follow Christ in faith, turn from self-righteousness and be healed. We've got plenty of time today for you who are not followers of Jesus to come and follow Him today. For you who have felt unwelcome and undesirable and who know you're unhealthy to, to be made whole by Him today, stay in this place. Come talk with me. Come talk with Pastor Danny. Find one of our members. Share with them your need, your desire to be made well by Jesus. Don't leave today without doing it. Don't leave today, Christian, without responding in faithful obedience to what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. Let's not leave this place more puffed up in pride and arrogance over all of our good Southern Baptist religious rule-keeping. Let's leave this place as people full of the good and glad news that Jesus Christ is sweet to those who are stuck in the bitterness of their sin. Let's pray together.